0: Stay hungry, stay foolish.
1: So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great pleasure to welcome Mark Farb, CEO and founder of Dyadic. Welcome to the show, Mark.
0: Uh, thanks, Aidan. I appreciate
1: you having me on. Your story is fantastic, and the real innovation that you've just almost stumbled upon, but also acted on, is just a great story that needs to be told. I'd love if you would Mark just tell our audience.
0: Well, I think you know the journey began almost four decades ago when we pioneered the use of pumice stones to stonewash blue jeans. So we helped pioneer that industry, selling rocks to Levi, Guess, Wrangler, etc., to the point where we were actually selling $15 million of pumice, making $5 million a year as the uh, pumice would wear away and they'd have to replace it on a continual basis. And then in the mid-1980s, enzymes came to displace the pumice in the process to make it greener, cleaner, more environmentally friendly. All the things people are dealing with and talking about today, we've been doing for over three decades. And then in the uh, early 90s, we uh, the wall fell in Russia. We hired 35 Russian scientists to go out and scour the Earth to find a fungus among us that would... Uh, produce cellulase enzymes that would soften and fade denim to make it more fashionable, more comfortable, to give it the stonewashed effect. And through that, we discovered this fungus called, we nicknamed C1. The scientific name is Mycephalothora thymophila. And we took that microorganism back to the United States, mutated it, which means we sort of bred it to produce more and more of the cellulase we wanted, and through that breeding process of improving its productivity, we had a serendipitous mutation that led to high productivity and low viscosity. What that meant was large-scale production. It was enabled by the low viscosity, and the high productivity enabled low cost. So from there, we launched a uh, neutral cellulase enzyme, and we developed from that a recombinant protein expression system where we can take genes either from the fungus itself and duplicate them and replicate them or from other living cells of other millions of living things on the planet and sequence the genome, take the genes that encode for enzymes and proteins, and we actually develop the products for the pulp and paper industry to make pulp flow better, more energy efficient, stronger, cleaner, use less harsh chemicals in the process. We developed enzymes that were used in the biofuel business in conjunction with Codexis and Shell Oil and Abengoa Bioenergy, where they weren't taking the corn, but they're taking the corn stalks, the waste, agricultural biomass, and converting it with enzymes into fermentable sugars to make biofuels like cellulosic ethanol. And then in December of 2015, DuPont purchased our industrial biotech business for $75 million. And then we focused our energy now on using the same productive industrial cell line to try to make vaccines and biologic antibodies and other proteins at a fraction of the cost of the way they're being done today. That kind of takes us to where we are now.
1: Amazing, amazing journey. And I love, Mark, the way you've moved from genes with a J to genes with a G and the bravery to jump Totally, like industry is just phenomenal. Like, where do you think you get this from?
0: Well, I, I think my my father and my grandfather are entrepreneurs. So, either nature or nurture. It's either in the genes, genetic genes, or in the way I was brought up, or a the combination thereof. But you know, I also wrestled in college at the University of Iowa, which was a national championship wrestling team under Dan Gable. And so, the persistence and the determination and the drive, I think, also comes from athletics.
1: Yeah, but like, I, I mean. A lot of people would be comfortable in that. You know, you had a company that pioneered stone washing and you had a huge amount of the market and a lot of people would be satisfied with that, but you just didn't seem to be. You seemed to be just curious to go what else is out there.
0: Well, you know, when I started the stone wash blue jean business, my father told me I had rocks in my head That nobody was going to put rocks in a washing machine and tumble them. Obviously, uh, that that wasn't the path that I followed. I believe that that was going to happen. And of course, you know, to me at this point in the stage of my life is, you know, we want to make a difference, whether it be feeding the world, fueling the world, or healing the world. Those are the three things, sort of the slogan of the bio industry or biotech or bio.org is biotechnology is feeding, fueling, and healing mankind. And so we've already fed and fueled mankind through C1, developing enzymes for a variety of uses, making animal feed more nutritious and healthier taking corn stalks and wheat straw and biomass and making sugar to make fuel. And now the final frontier is to heal the world. And we believe that our technology can just dramatically change the game in speeding up and lowering the cost of biologic vaccines and drugs to make them more accessible and more affordable.
1: Just to, to bring it down a level for, for people who may not be familiar with biotech, is, including myself, Mark, is when you talk about the biotech world, what kind of illnesses are you curing? How does the work you've done translate into that world?
0: Well, the things that people would be familiar with are like insulin for diabetics. That's made through recombinant DNA through biotech. They take a human gene, insulin gene, and are modified versions or improved versions of that, and they put those genes into a living cell, either in this case bacteria or yeast, and then they replicate... Human insulin protein to a living cell of a microorganism, and of course that's given to patients that are diabetic, and that's a 35 billion dollar industry, and there's 270 billion dollars of drugs being produced in this way under called biologics, and then of course there's a hundred plus million billion dollars in vaccines being produced, and that's 21 percent of all sort of the budget of the drug industry. So, it's the fastest growing part of the pharmaceutical industry, and the reason for that is, as they sequence the human genome, you know, 14, 15 years ago, they're finally mining the genes, discovering the proteins that are encoded by those genes, and they have to make those proteins through living cells. Thus, the C1 technology is a living cell that's a hyperproductive protein factory, and we can program it with DNA genes, genetic genes so that the cell uptakes those genes and thinks that the genes now belong to its genome and starts secreting those proteins out into the water in a fermentation vessel. And we've been driving that yield up and up and up on the industrial side to remarkable levels to the point where DuPont purchased that technology to make all the things they're going to do. Shell oil, BASF, and others are using that technology in the biofuel space because it's very productive, It's scalable and scalable levels that we've been producing enzymes for over two decades virtually from 50,000 liters to 500,000 liter vessels, which are 25 times the size of the largest biofactories being used today in the biopharmaceutical industry. But the beautiful thing is that we're going to actually scale down because we can produce proteins from C1 in half the time of the way they do it today using CHO cells, which are Chinese hamster ovaries, we can do it in five to seven days. Those typically take 14 days to produce. So half the time at hopefully five to ten times a higher yield, which will convert to 10 to 20 times lower cost of producing biologics. And that can change the game and make healthcare not only more affordable for the patients, but the healthcare systems that can't afford these biologic drugs As America and the West ages and we get older, things like rheumatoid arthritis become part of the cures for disease that we need to have as the population ages and we live longer. So we have people living longer, getting more diseases as they live longer, and healthcare costs out of control. And so I think that our technology has the potential to change that paradigm and make it sustainable because we're living in an unsustainable healthcare system as we all know today.
1: Are you finding your work being kept quiet in a way or people don't want to shine a light on it because you're disrupting essentially all the existing healthcare system?
0: Well, I think the issue is that the pharmaceutical companies are now paying attention to the cost of goods, cost of production, because now the world is saying we can't afford to pay you any longer. They've been able to pass on the expensive drugs to the healthcare system, but the healthcare system is unsustainable at this level. And as I said, 21% of all drugs today are biologics, and that's the fastest-growing section. And as the world ages and the population grows, they're going to need more and more biologics in the West. In the East, in third-world countries, a lot of the patients that have these same diseases are not getting even these treatments because they're unaffordable. So if it's unaffordable in the West, you can imagine that they're not even giving these you know, uh, protein therapeutics. To the patients in the third world because they can't afford to, and so to me the system is growing faster, quicker, and and moving at an accelerated pace, where they claim faster than Moore's law did for the computer industry. But the difference here is the computer industry didn't have the FDA and regulatory agencies slowing them down. What we're doing here today is these Chinese hamster ovaries that are cells that are really weren't made in nature to produce proteins and secrete them, we've stretched those at a point where we've reached the theoretical limits. And so we can marginally make them a few percent better year after year after year. So it's like fine-tuning a Model T car engine versus we have a Ferrari. You're never going to yeah. get a Model T tuned up to the level that we yeah. can tune up C1. And so the regulatory agencies need to get on board and start adopting new technology in biotech and using it for the benefit of mankind.
1: And oftentimes, the regulatory functions aren't up to speed with what's really going on because it's coming out of labs like yours.
0: Well, it's it's happening at such a fast pace. In synthetic biology today, you can modify cells to produce virtually anything you want. The question is which cell to use and why. And we believe that our C1 cell line is one of, if not the most productive Cell to be able to produce classes of biologic vaccines and drugs. It's programmable, it's scalable, it's productive, it produces things at high purity, and so, and it has a safety track record of grass recognition, which is generally recognized as safe by the US FDA for feed and food, and now we have to apply that and expand that for the pharmaceutical industry and reprogram it to make vaccines and drugs rather than enzymes. For feed and fuel and pulp and paper, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and, and what the process mark of you know discovering Chinese hamster ovaries have the answer. How how does that happen?
0: Well, that was really just I think Genentech tried to produce a certain protein drug thirty years ago, and they just happened to scientists find out it can be produced using a CHO cell or a Chinese hamster cell, and so they started this process with the FDA. And we've all been stuck with it for 30 years. And so instead of advancing and using modern biology and biotechnology and synthetic biology, genomics and proteomics, they're doing the same thing they've been doing for 30 years with a cell line that really wasn't the right cell line to pick in the first place. I believe there's stories where the people from Genentech that started all this said they wish they would have pulled out something else off the shelf because now they've been stuck with it because it's safe. It's effective, the industry's comfortable, but it's really unsustainable
1: and unaffordable to use. And, and where, where do you feel it's all going? Like, when you look at a few different tracks of what's going on, so urbanization is happening at a mass scale. We're, we're conquering sickness. People like you, with your work and your team, are conquering sickness or, or will. You know, once some of the blockers are cleared, people are living longer. And artificial intelligence has taken out jobs. Like where where do you see it all converging?
0: Well, I, I think in the end for the healthcare space, which is where we're focused today, is I, I believe that we're gonna end up creating new cures for disease. We're gonna be able to make those more affordably and more effectively so that they're more accessible to the global population, not just the high net worth West, where we have a much higher sort of capital for the people in the United States and Europe and the West can afford these medicines. The people in Russia, in Brazil, in India, in China, in South America, in Africa, they can't afford these. So I think we're going to bring the Bill and Melinda Gates vision to commercial reality. They've been chasing this dream for several decades. As you know, they they put a lot of money to work to try to make low-cost vaccines for Africa, right? I think C1 can deliver on their promise. So we need to work with the governments, with the Gates Foundation, people like that, with the pharmaceutical industry, the top 25 pharma companies, with the fast, quick-thinking biotech industries, and we're reaching out to all of those people to try to expose them to the potential of what we have in our hands so that we can get to more places sooner and can
1: get adopted
0: and we can make things cheaper, more affordable, and accessible to the patients all over the globe.
1: That's amazing, vision, and that you're so close as well, Mark. And, like, one last question would be what advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs? I mean, you've been successful in so many different fields. You've had successful exits, which have enabled you to get to this point where now you can start looking out to the world and, and solve some of the world's problems. You talked about persistence. What other ingredients are important?
0: Well, you have to have the vision, you have to have the drive, you have to have the persistence. You have to be able to withstand ups and downs, and we've had a lot of downs as well. So it's been a roller coaster ride, highs and lows, and you have to be able to deal with that. I also, by the way, meditate twice a day for the last 40 years. So I think that helps with the stress. So my my suggestion is, you know, stay the course, do what you believe, pick a job that you love, and pursue it.
1: That's amazing advice, and coming from you, who's actually done that and done that in several fields. Very valuable advice for us all. So Mark, it's been a pleasure talking to you and we wish you the very best with the vision and the mission.
0: All right, well, we are looking forward to the day of bringing more affordable healthcare to more people.
1: Mark gable far it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye.